Hey, how you doing, Ignite City Church? I want to go through a little bit of Hebrews chapter 2. That's where we are in our Bible reading plan. And it stood out to me this morning when it's talking about Jesus, uh, starting here in chapter 2, verse 5. And a little background, chapter 1 is really talking, the writer of Hebrews is trying to explain the supremacy of Jesus, um, that Jesus is not just like he's not like an angel or that angels are incredible. Hey, how you doing, Ignite City Church? Hey, I just want to share a little bit from what uh, from what I read this morning in our Bible reading plan from Hebrews chapters 1 and 2. Um, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 is really trying to show the authority and the supremacy of Jesus. And especially when we get to verse 3. So it's not like Jesus is a God, a God or that he's just a prophet or, um, or maybe even an angelic being because he brings up angels. But especially he's trying to point, hey, he's not just this created being. And so, like, you'll get some cults that talk about that Jesus was created, that he's not almighty God, but that he's a God or or just a prophet. And friends, that when they use the scriptures to try to explain that, it just doesn't make sense, especially when you get to chapter 1, verse 3. And in verse 3, the writer says, He, in speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So he's talking about that Jesus, one, he's the exact imprint of God's nature. So when you look at Jesus, he has the exact imprint of God's nature. See, I'm not, I don't have the humanity. No human being on the planet has the exact imprint of God's nature as being God. We're created in his image, but we don't have his nature of being God. And then you get to the very next part in verse 3. When he's talking about, and he upholds the universe, that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Some, would sit, some might sit there and go, well, maybe he's not talking about he as in Jesus, but maybe he's talking about he as in God. Well, Paul even addresses this in Colossians chapter 1, starting over here in verse 15, says that he is the image of, uh, he is the image of the invisible God. He's speaking about Jesus. So when you look, uh, he's speaking about the Son. I mean, Technically, in verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. We know that the Father is spirit, um, but Jesus came in the flesh. And so Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. Now listen to this. And in him, in Christ, in Jesus, in the son, in him, all things hold together. So when you connect what Paul says there in, in Colossians chapter 1, uh, especially in, down in verse uh, in 17, um, then you come over here in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, you know that, hey, the writers, both Paul and the writer of Hebrews are saying, hey, he, he's God. Jesus is God. And so he's talking about the, the supremacy of Christ. And you continue on into chapter 2, especially starting in verse 5. And the subheading in my Bible talks about, uh, or it, it says, the founder of salvation. And he's, so that'd be Jesus, right? We're talking about Jesus. And so starting verse 5, For it is not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. And then he quotes from the Psalms. I think it's out of Psalm 8, a portion of the Psalms. And we know that Psalm 8, if, if you read through the whole thing, it really is this general statement about the role of man, about humanity, not just men, but men and women 
in God's creation. So we know that that's the context, but here the writer of Hebrews does something with it to prove his point. So in verse 6, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Now just stop there, just think about that, apply it personally. Like who am I? Like what is man or what is humanity? What is, what is a man or what is a woman? What are we as humanity that you would even take notice of us, that you would know us at all? And the son of man that you care for him, that God cares for us. Like, who are we that we should have the God of the universe care for us? Then he continues, or the, the, the writer says this, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Again, when we look at this, we go, okay, so when we're looking at this as being the role of humanity in God's creation, well, you, God made us as humans a little lower than the angels for now. And that he's crowned us with glory and honor. We're created in his image. We're not God. It's not the same glory and honor that God receives, but we have been crowned with it, putting everything in subjection under his feet, that we have responsibility over creation. So there's a context, but the writer of Hebrews does something different. The writer says this goes on and connects, especially verse verse 8 and maybe even, um, and I actually think 7 and 8, um, and connects it to a messianic prophecy, a messianic statement about Jesus says this, now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see, I'm sorry, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So again, now he's starting to talk about Jesus. So when you come back to this and you see verse seven, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. That is Jesus's incarnation, that Jesus became a human, fully God, before time began, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then became a person, became a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. And so I believe that Jesus resurrected. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's He has the name that's above every name. Um, he is he's given glory and honor like before, he, before his incarnation, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So Jesus is in control. He's, he's sovereign over everything. His sovereignty didn't stop, but he was actually, as a human, there were certain things that he could do and couldn't do. Like he couldn't, in his normal human body, he couldn't fly. I mean, even though as much as we'd like to, we would like to be able to do that, we can't. So there was limitations that he placed upon himself by becoming human, um, but everything is placed in subjection uh, under his feet. But what we see now, this is the part where we, where we might get a little frustrated or feel a little bit hopeless. Again, that statement, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And if we're honest, if we look around the world, we just read, we read the news, watch the news, uh, we just look at what's going on, just in the, in the neighborhoods of the cities that we live in, there's a lot of brokenness and sin just seems rampant. And it is because we're sinners. We're created in the image of God, um, but because, because of the fall back in Genesis chapter three, we are now born into sin, and sin is just so destructive. That's the that's the that's the problem, the problem, the root of every single evil that we can think of is sin. Sin is the evil, and so we're all born into sin. So Jesus becoming human, yet not born into sin because he didn't have a father. He's a vir his mom was a virgin. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So if we're honest, we look around going, it just doesn't seem like God's in control. If we just go with our own perspectives and how we perceive things, it doesn't look like God's in control. Sometimes it's easy for us to look and go, God, what are you doing? Or are you even involved? Or are you aware of what's going on when there seems to be so much hurt and pain going on in the world? And then the writer of Hebrews continues in verse nine, but we see him. 
Guys, I think that could be some of the best advice that we could ever get. We could look around at all the problems and be overwhelmed by it, or we could come back to him. We come back to Jesus. We may not see him with everything in, under, under, his, under, under his feet in subjection to his lordship. We may not see that, but we come back to him. So I know that maybe if, if someone's listening to this and you're not a follower of Jesus, you might ask, well, why do that? Well, I guess my question back to you is, why wouldn't you do that? So by not doing that and just looking at the problems of the world, can I ask you, how is it that you're actually finding any hope? You say, well, I'm looking at other, I'm other, other humans or other, other, other people who are giving me hope because of the good things that they're doing. But again, we're looking at people who are fallible, that were limited. Um, we don't know everything. We can't do everything. Uh, we're limited in our power and ability to actually influence and move other people to do anything. We have some influence, but not ultimate influence. And so I just want to challenge you and just ask, what's the difference between going to someone who's fallible or going to God who's infallible and perfect and almighty and has wisdom that is beyond our ability to comprehend and to move forward with him? Because, man, I feel like God is actually much more trustworthy and able than we as human beings are. Again, that jumps into a whole nother conversation about whether or not a person believes in God. I do. I believe that God is real. I believe that Jesus is almighty God. I believe in the, I believe in the validity of the scriptures and I believe in what it, in what it teaches us. And it actually gives us practical things to get through life. Uh, that life can be so difficult and hard when circumstances come up that are that are beyond what we expected, uh, circumstances that are so difficult that at no point were we thinking, this is what I would ever have to deal with. What do we do? We see him, but we see Jesus who for a little while was made lower than the angels. And again, he says, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Friends, I... If you, for those of you that aren't maybe you're listening and you're not a follower of Jesus, here's what the Bible teaches: that Jesus became a human, died in our place, was resurrected from from the dead. There's a whole. I mean, there's 33 give or take years about Jesus that I just kind of skimmed over. But we look at Jesus and what he suffered while he was living. I mean, all the things and all the suffering that he saw around him. But what he experienced on the cross is the most excruciating thing that any human being could ever. Let me rephrase that. It's the most excruciating thing that was ever experienced that no human being could ever tolerate. That only Jesus, who is God, could actually go through everything that came with the cross and the full wrath of God being placed upon him. So we look at God and, and his character and what he's like. And when we don't see what it is that's going on, friends, do you realize that even when Jesus showed up, no one pictured God coming in a body to redeem his people, to pay the penalty, to pay the penalty for sin, to die on the cross, to come back from the dead that we could re be redeemed and reconciled to God by grace through faith. No one pictured him doing that. And so we have the writer of Hebrews reminding us, hey, when it didn't look like it, when Jesus showed up, Jesus shows up and it doesn't look like, like anything's under the subjection of him or of God, God the Father, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels incarnation, Jesus became a human for a little while lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. And here's the reason behind the suffering. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Friends, when you feel overwhelmed and you're looking around going, I don't know how to fix all of this. What if we just start with, 
a daily decision. Let's start there. And maybe you're not spending time with the Lord on a regular basis, but can I but can I encourage you? Start with a daily decision to focus in on Jesus right when you wake up. Look to him, which means pray to him, talk to him, open his word. If you if you're not spending time with the word on a regular basis, start with a start with a book of the Bible and just read a subheading to subheading section. And if you have been spending time with the Lord and you want to just go deeper, go deeper, but focus in on Jesus, get to know his word, ask him to reveal his truth and his will to us so that we can actually continue to move forward in life from his perspective and not being driven by hopelessness, but being moved forward as we walk humbly with God with hope because of God's grace and ability to intervene and to act on our behalf according to his good purpose, according to what he's designed. Friends, when you feel overwhelmed, look to Jesus. Why? Because he suffered. And he suffered something that we would never be able to endure and something that we don't ever have to so that we could be delivered from this quote-unquote taste of death. We don't have to taste death because we as followers of Jesus believe that when we when we die, when our physical bodies die, we are actually entering into eternity. We're actually entering into what it is that God has been preparing it for, preparing for us to enjoy him forever. Friends, I hope that's a challenge, but I also hope it's an encouragement. When everything seems out of control, continue to look to Jesus. Continue to look for Jesus. To, to, I'm sorry. Continue to look to Jesus. Always look to Jesus. Come back to him. Spend time with him on a regular basis in his word. He wants to reveal things to you by his Holy Spirit about your life. He wants to convict of sin. He wants to cause repentance. He wants to bless. He wants to. Uh, he wants. He wants us to listen to him and the things that we need to change. But friends, he wants to move us forward, and especially also into the mission that he's called us to. Again. Love God with everything we have, greatest commandment. Second one is like it, love people, love your neighbors yourself, and then followers of Jesus, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teach them to obey all that God has commanded, all that Jesus has commanded us. And the reminder, the encouragement is this, and Jesus says, and I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Friends, what an encouragement to have a God who was so humble in character that he would empty himself, become a human, still being fully God, fully man, with limitations because of his humanity, taking the cross that was ours, coming back from the dead, all so that we can be reconciled to him. And then you think of everything that he accomplished and no one in that moment actually really understood it in the moment. Friends, it's mind-blowing to think that that's the God that we get to follow, who loves us, who deems us worth it, that he would endure all of that. Friends, I hope this is an encouragement and challenge to you. Love you guys more than you know. We'll see you later.